Jonah chapter 4, verses 1 to uh, 10. I want you to think about a puzzle before we start. Think about a puzzle. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. Let's back up, kind of put, if you haven't been here before. Uh, Jonah has, you know, it's, it's more than a story about a, a, a man being swallowed by a fish. It's a story about how God deals with a man who God told him to go to one place and preach and, and tell his message, and he went the exact opposite way. They throw him overboard. He goes down into the bottom. He gives a prayer in chapter 2. In chapter 3, he goes back into Nineveh, and he preaches. And, and all these Ninevites, all these pagans come, to, and they repent, and they come to love the one true living God. And then Jonah just gets mad about it. And that's one of the oddest things in the Bible, but we find Jonah, and this is where we come to Jonah chapter 4. God starts to deal with him. He's sitting under a little tree, and he's pouting again, and let's look at what it says. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. He prayed to the Lord and said, Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? That's why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore, uh, now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it's better for me to die than to live. Jonah, God just saved the whole country, and you want to die? The Lord said, verse 4, Why are you angry? Do you will to be angry? Jonah went out of the city, sat uh, to the east of the city, made a little booth for himself there, sat under it in the shade till he could see what God or what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant, made it come up over Jonah, that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of the Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, It's better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, is, is, it, is it right? Is it okay? Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes. It's okay for me to be angry. I, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. Uh, Came, came into being in a night and perished in a night. And Jonah, should I not be concerned or should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who don't know their right hand from their left and also much cattle? And that's the end of the book of Jonah. And it's one of the strangest endings of a story in not just the Bible but in all the history. Because you would think, well, God, come on. I mean, like, and they lived happily ever after? That's not what it says. We'll explain that why when, or when we come to the, uh, the end of the sermon. So, how many of you like to put puzzles together? Nobody likes to put puzzles together? Yeah, go kids, yay! You like puzzles. How do you put a puzzle together? Well, you dump it out on the table and you start to find the corners. You start to find the what? The edges. Yeah, that's the fun part. But then when you get into the middle and there's all these shades of colors and 
Lord help you if you get a if you get a puzzle that's like a thousand pieces and part of it's trees, or so it's just you, 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 and it takes a while to do it. And, it, and, and it, but some people love puzzles. I, I enjoy them. I haven't done one in a long time, but we enjoy puzzles. We en, we enjoy finding the edges. The fun part are the edges. The hard part is filling in all the inside. And so when we talk about God. Sometimes we just get to the edge. You ever gone in somebody's house and they've got a puzzle and it's been laying there for like years? And the edges are all done, but all the middle pieces are just kind of there. They've been working on that. They haven't, they stopped working on it. That's the way we are with God's love. And we love God's love, don't we? We want to know. Day in and day out that God loves us. But this book, the book of Jonah, gets into the fine details about how God relates to a man and how he relates to us sometimes. This book gets into the inside pieces of God's love. We saw last week that God told Jonah to go back and uh, the people repent. They turn to God and you think, well, that that would make just stop the book right there. But it goes on and Jonah, Jonah says, Why did you save Nineveh? And Jonah has this anger problem. Jonah has this uh, thing going on in his heart, and he can't figure out how God's love operates. And he knows the edge of the puzzle, but he hasn't got all the fine details in it. Now, I want to challenge you to think about something this morning. Most of our struggles come because we don't understand the middle pieces. We don't understand how God's love operates sometimes. Hebrews 12, 29, the passage that Jonathan read, says, Our God is a consuming fire. Now, have you ever stopped and pondered why God gave us that image of himself? We like the Father stuff. We like the merciful stuff. He's He's like a hen that covers over her little chicks. We like those images. But think about something. The inside pieces of the puzzle. God's love is like a fire. Think about fire. Fire, what can you do with it? Well, it can give you heat. You're going to start waking up in a couple of weeks and it's going to be chilly and you're going to go turn the thermostat on and there's, if, you've got a, if you've got a gas furnace, there's going to be a little fire and it's going to go boom. Your heater's going to kick on, or uh, it gives us it gives us hot water. It, fire can give you can cook over it, but it's dangerous. Fire can be dangerous. It can be burning. It can be purifying, and it can be painful. A, a while back, we had friends over, and uh, my teenage son Jacob uh, said, "Dad, can we build a fire pit in the backyard? Can we build fire." I said, "Teenager, fire." But I, you have to pull the water hose around the back. So he built this fire. And uh, I slept on the couch that night. Because we have a fire station just down. We live about two, three blocks off of Cherry Road. And uh, we have a fire station. And about 3 o'clock in the morning, I hear the fire sirens. And, I, and it's for some reason, I woke up. And I don't know if it was kind of the fog and the street lights, But I woke up. 
And I saw this orange haze out there, our back window, and I thought, oh my gosh, he didn't put the fire out. Fire, you know this from looking at all the news this week about all the, the, the forest fires, fire can be consuming. It can be dangerous. But, nevertheless, God says, I am a consuming fire. I'm a consuming fire. Now, I want us to look at the text, and I want us to kind of work on some of these inner pieces of the puzzle this morning. Now, listen. I want you to hear God's love, but I want you to temper that with God's love is a consuming fire. Because some of you already feel like God has just burned me to death. And there might be a reason why. Number one this morning, look at the passage. God's love is like a refining fire. Look at the text. Look at three times. Have you noticed throughout the book of Jonah that God, He's always appointing things? Three times in our text. Look at verse 6. Now the Lord God appointed a plant. Verse 7, the Lord God appointed a worm. Verse 8. God appointed a scorching east wind. Jonah's angry at God. And God starts to teach him a lesson, and he lets him get comfortable, and then he sends a warm wind. And you see these desert pictures where where the wind is hot, the sand's blowing, and you say, well, what's the point of that? Why would a good, loving God send a scorching wind And the point is this, is that the Bible, is it true that God brings trouble? God allows trials? God allows disasters into people's lives as a way to purify them? And the Bible's answer is yes. It's God's love. A couple of verses, Isaiah 45, verse 7, God says, I form the light. I create darkness, I make well-being, and I create calamity. I am the Lord God who does these things. Amos chapter 3, verse 6. Is a trumpet blown in a city and the people are not afraid? Does disaster come to a city unless the Lord has done it? And the answer is just like the answer when your wife says, Are you really going to spend $100 on a fishing, fish, a rod and reel? The answer is, I better not. We know the answer to that question. When Amos says, is a trumpet blown in a city? The people are not afraid. Does disaster come to a city unless the Lord does it? The answer is, the Lord does it. And this is hard. We don't like this stuff. This is hard for comfortable Americans, comfortable, what do they call y'all, Cloverians? What? Cloverite. That good. Yeah, Cloverite. We, we don't, us clover, Cloverites, we don't like that. We don't like, um, we like that God is good, but we don't like it that we're broken. And see, sinful evil comes from us, but God uses it. It's like in the sports world. Uh, a well-coached team, they, they hire a good coach, and uh, the Gamecocks have done this a couple of times. They've hired a guy, and they thought, this is going to be the guy that takes us to the, to, the, to the natty. And they hire him, and they try to run a team, but his, 
his, uh, his incompetences start to come out. And they start to, and pretty soon, the, the, the team is a train wreck. And um, when we, when Adam and Eve rebelled, it brought about all sorts of trouble and death and disease and natural disasters and consequences of the wrong people trying to be in charge. You see, we're like the football coach. We think that we can run our own lives. But when it gets hard, that's when we go to God and say, I kind of messed up here. Can you help me? Can you just put me back in the driver's seat? And God says, no, I need to be in the driver's seat. I, if you have this bumper sticker on your car, I love you, but please take it off. I don't like the bumper sticker that says, God is my co-pilot. He don't want to be your co-pilot. He doesn't want to be your co-pilot. He, he can do a better job at it than you can. And so, but yet, God still loves and He's still good. He puts a hedge around His people. He monitors things. Look, everything in this story is, is guided and governed by the good, loving, kind, merciful heart of God. Everything. God made a plant, God made a worm, and God made a scorching yeast wind. Romans 8, 28. Do you believe that? Do you believe that when the Bible says, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good to those who were called according to His purposes. Do you believe that this morning? The timing, the amount of trouble, the calamity are all according to His purposes. I didn't know that. I looked it up this week. The word appointed in, the, in, in these passages, you know what it means? It means to provide. And that's where we get the word providence. Now, we're, we're Presbyterians. We love, we love God's providence, don't we? It gives us some security knowing that God orchestrates everything in our life. Do you believe that? And so Jonah comes to God, and God comes to Jonah. Verse 6, he provided a plant. Why did he do that? To save him from his discomfort. Look at, what, look at verse 6. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. Think about all the things that God does for you that saves you. I thank God for, you ever thank God for sunscreen? No, we don't think about that. But God made sunscreen, He made umbrellas, He made shade so that we wouldn't barbecue to death. But look at what else. Verses 7 and 8, God appointed, He provided a worm that ate the plant and the scorching wind beat down. That's the part we don't like. We like it when God makes us comfortable, but we, boy, we start blowing fuses when God makes us uncomfortable. I, I know I do. When God makes me uncomfortable, my wife is about ready to pack up and leave because I turn into the biggest baby. If I get a cold, God let me get that cold, but I turn into the biggest baby you have ever seen. I know sometimes she just wants to put a diaper on me and stick a pansy in my mouth and say, here, get over your cold. But, why does God deal with Jonah this way? Why does He deal with us this way? See, sometimes, sometimes love has to be hard. 
Sometimes love has to be hard. Your kid wants to jump off the house with a blanket. Any of your kids ever want to do that? Uh, we had friends in Delaware, and they lived in a big two-story house, and they had this really nice, expensive leather couch. And so Nate and his buddies decided they would jump off the second floor and try to land on the couch. And that's not a good idea, sports fans. We, you know, your kid says, I want to jump off the house and try to parachute with a blanket or a sheet. No, you're going to break your leg, and we're going to spend the afternoon in the hospital. You say, no, you can't do that. Or let's, another example, somebody's had way too much to drink, and they want to drive, and so you have to go and you have to take their keys. They don't, you don't want them to hurt themselves and other people, and you can't reason with them. Have you ever heard somebody say, there's, you know, when we say, you know, you've had too much to drink, well, you, you can't drive, they're, they're, and there's nothing wrong with me, and they can't even touch their nose. And y'all probably thinking, what kind of people do you hang around? <laughs> this is an example. You never hear somebody that's had too much to drink say, yeah, you're right, I can't even touch my nose. Here's my keys. You see, there's junk down in Jonah's trunk. There's something going on with Jonah. There's pride, and, and, and there's with this Ninevites. He thinks he's, he's better than them. He's prejudiced against them. There's no compassion for outsiders. And God has to show him that. I was out riding around doing my job the other day, and folks, I go into some places that you would be horrified at, because like, I'm horrified of them. And I go into these places and I pick these people up and take them to the hospital. And I just think the average American doesn't know how these people live. And you know what God has started to do? And I used to, when I first started, I thought, gosh, I am so glad that I don't have to live in these conditions. And there was some pride there. And there was some... some uh, some prejudice. And I, may, and, and I may never get over that. But let me tell you what God's doing. God is showing me my pride of my own heart. And, and, I'm, and I'm learning to be a little bit more compassionate. I'm not there yet, but that's what God's doing in my heart. And I don't know if God had, would, could have done it any other way than that. You see, Jonah needed heart surgery to cut that pride, to cut that prejudice, to cut that uncompassionate heart out. And I, and I wonder sometimes, I was riding here this morning thinking, does God have to do that in churches sometimes? I, if I had time, and maybe I'll do it uh, next week, but uh, you won't believe the number of churches that are dying. I mean, you need to thank God every day that you got people in the balcony, you got money to pay the bills, because there's some churches, they're locking the doors, they're putting a chain on the door, and they're saying, we can't, we're not doing this, we can't do this anymore. And I wonder, is it because they've become prejudiced and prideful, and we're going to do our church thing and the world can go to hell? That's what we say. That's what Jonah was saying. And God had to root that stuff out of his heart. You see, number one, God's love is like a refining fire. 
God's not going to let you stay the way you are. If you're an ornery old pers- a person and you just and you and nothing in your life, nothing that God does is going to ever make you happy. He'll just he'll get that out of you somehow. I picked up a there's a fellow I pick up. He he goes to dialysis, and uh, folks, he's got every reason in the world to be angry and bitter. He has to they have to sign a little book to show that I dropped him off, and I went and gave him the pen. I said, "Here, Mister." Mr. Bob, can you sign this uh, paper? He, and his hands are all... He can't, he can't write. He can't walk. He can hear. But I tell you something. When I go pick him up, he's got this infectious little laugh that almost brings me to tears because I, thought, I think this man has every reason in the world to be angry and bitter. But he is just the, he's just the, I love, I, I told his wife one day, I'm just going to go ride around just so I can get to be with him. We're going to the state fair. <laughs> what is it in your heart? And you know it. We're not blind to it. What is it in your heart that God's got to root out? God does it because loves you. There's something in our character. There's something in our hearts that's keeping us from being all that God wants us to be. And we think, well, why would God do that? Because we're like a little kid trying to jump off the house with a parachute. Our God is a consuming fire. He loves us even enough to burn all the chaff out of us to make us to be like Christ. You see, God's love isn't a sickly little human love. We give in. We don't say things we don't say things to other people out of a heart of love to try to help them. We just kind of back off and say, I'm not I'm not gonna I'm not going there with people. God listen, God goes there. He goes there because he loves you. God's not afraid of you. God loves you. God wants you to be more like Jesus Christ far more than you want to be. Second point, God's love is an accepting love. God's love is is an accepting love. It's a seeking love, a life-giving love. God has a right to say to Jonah, Jonah, I am done with you. I told you to go to Nineveh. You went the opposite way. They threw you overboard. I brought you back up. And I sent you back to Nineveh, and you did what I told you to do, but now you're sitting under a stinking little bush pouting. We think God has a right to say, I'm done with you, but he doesn't. He keeps coming back to Jonah. He, he He keeps loving him. Jonah deserved to be rejected, but God continues to accept him. I grew up as a good old Southern Baptist. I heard Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, it didn't matter if the pastor preached on Genesis or Revelation or Jonah or Isaiah, he came to the front. Now, if anybody wants to come and accept Christ as your Savior, and he gave that, and I loved him for that. We need to get that message out. But listen, there's something more important than you accepting God. You know what it is? Does God accept you? Now, now you need to think about this. Because I'm afraid 
There's a lot of people in good churches like this one, and you still think you're in control. Well, I will accept Jesus when I want to, and I'll, want, I'll come to him when I want to. That's not the way this thing works. God has to accept you or you don't get in. But God is an accepting God. God is saying to Jonah and God is saying to us, look at yourself. I love the Ninevites in spite of all their violence. And Jonah, I look at you in spite of all your pride. And he's saying to David Stover this morning, David, I still love you in spite of all your goofballness. I love you in spite of all your pride, in spite of all your... I I, I accept you. And you see, the crux of the matter is verse 9. Jonah's angry about the vine, and God says, You pity the plant for which you didn't labor, nor did you make it grow. It came into being in a night, and it perished in a night. And should I not pity that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who don't know their right hand from their left? What in the world is that all about? God is saying to Jonah, and he's saying to, to you, and he's saying to me, Jonah and David, there are thousands of people out there. And, and, and they don't know right from wrong. And, and I'm compassionate on them. And you should be too. I care about those people. I do that to make you wake up. I'm not going to mess up your nap anymore. God says to Jonah, I care about those people. And, and, and you sit under this little booth and you pout. And Jonah's more concerned about his own comfort than he was the people of Nineveh. Folks, let me ask you one more time. Does your faith do anybody else any good? That's kind of the, one of the points of Jonah. Jonah, you sit under this tree and you're comfortable and I think God says to a lot of ARP people, you sit in your pew and you're comfortable. But folks, there's a world out there. There are people out there. There are neighbors out there. There, there are people in your workplace. There are family members. Do you pray for them? Or do you say, just let them go. That's not what God says to Jonah. You see, verse 11, when God says, should I not, should I not be concerned? The Hebrew says, do I not, is, I'm supposed, I grieve and I mourn. God is saying, look at what you weep over. Look at what makes you cry. Look at what you love. And God says, look at what I love. And you know the amazing thing about God? He loves broken people. He loves broken people. He loves broken people inside a church. He loves broken people outside a church. And do you know how you know if you're in right with God? You will begin to love the things that God loves. And if God loves broken people, we'll come to love broken people. If we know God's mercy, we'll show God's mercy. If we know God's grace, 
will show God's grace. If we've been forgiven, we will forgive others. Our heart and our loves and our priorities will begin to line up with God's heart and God's love and God's priorities. Um, is life like a puzzle? You, you know, the, and maybe I've thrown you some stuff this morning that you, when you come out of the back door, you're going to say, wow. I'm, I'm not here to get any wows. It, it makes me feel good. In fact, sometimes when I get wows, it's not good because I start to think I'm really good, and I'm not. But listen, we need to think about the inside parts of the puzzle. We need to think about how God's love operates because, listen, God's love is a consuming fire. And yet, in spite of all of our junk, He accepts us. I picked up a lady this week and uh, I had to take her, I think it was from York to, to uh, Uptown Charlotte to a doctor's appointment. And we got to talking and talking about stuff. I looked, she told me about her family. I told her about my family. And she said the magic question. She said, do you do anything else besides this? <laughs> I said, yeah. I said, uh, oh, you know what? She was from Clover. And she said she'd been to church before, but I knew she hadn't. But anyway, she said, uh, what do you do? And I said, I'm a pastor. And she said, I knew it. She said, I knew it. She said, when I got in the van, I knew you were a pastor. We talked a little bit more. And it got really quiet, and she said, Pastor David, how do you build an altar? And I looked in the, she was in the back, and I looked, I said, what do you mean? She said, how do you build an altar? You know, like they did it in the old-timey days. I said, well, what are you going to do? She said, well, I'm going to get a lamb, and I'm going to sacrifice on the altar. And I said, well, where are you going to get a lamb? She said, I'm not, no, I'm not going to go buy a lamb. I'm going to go to the store and buy some, buy some lamb meat. And I'm going to build an altar. And I'm going to sacrifice on it just like they used to do in the old days. And I said, well, why are you going to do that? And she said, my life, I'm going to change it up to kind of fit the sermon. She said, my life is kind of like a puzzle right now. She said, I've got to go to all these doctors. My body's not working right. My kid's done this. He's been in and out of that. And, and I could tell her life was like a puzzle. And I said to her, well, li li listen, I can save you a lot of money. Number one, you don't have to build an altar. Number two, you don't have to go buy money. You don't have to go spend money on a lamb. I, I said, because First Peter says... Jesus has become our Passover lamb. And she said, oh, you mean when they put the blood on the door? I could tell she had a little bit of, she knew a little bit about the Bible. She said, yeah, when they put the blood on the doorpost? I said, yeah. I said, all those sacrifices pointed to something greater. All those sacrifices point to Jesus. I said, what would you think about me if I brought out my wife's, my trophy wife's picture? And I said, Look at my wife. Mm -hmm. I just started kissing my picture. And she said, why don't you just go home and kiss the real thing? I said, yeah, 
That's the point. You don't have to build an altar because Jesus is the real thing. We have Jesus. And I said, you know, you know the greatest thing about, about what Jesus has done is that when Jesus was on the cross, all those sacrifices had to be burnt up completely. And the great thing about Jesus Christ is that when he was on the cross, I said, Jesus said, it is finished. And she said, what does that mean? I said, it means that all the sacrifices and all the stuff that they had to do, we don't have to do it. We can go right into the very throne room of God because he was consumed for us. Our God is a what? A consuming fire. And this is the gospel that God consumed him so that God could look at you today and say, I accept, I accept you because of what Jesus did for you. Is life like a puzzle? Think about God. Our God is a consuming fire. And he'll help you get those pieces sorted out in the middle. Let's bow together and pray. Father, thank you for the truth in the book of Jonah that every little detail you orchestrated because he belonged to you and you orchestrated every little detail to make Jonah all that you wanted him to be. And we don't know the end of the story of the book of Jonah and we don't know the end of our story. But well, there's two things that we can know. We can know that you are a God who is a consuming fire and out of your great love, you burn off all the junk so that we can look in the mirror of your word and see Jesus Christ. Thank you that because Jesus was consumed for us that you accept us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.